Hello, everyone, and welcome to Pocket Thoughts. We've got a great episode on deck for you guys today. It will just be Joey, Bobby, and I, and we hope to have Brady back next week. Our first question for today is, what is your biggest distraction during the day, and how are you trying to fix or avoid that distraction? Our second question is, at what point do you set your optimism aside and become more realistic? And our third and final question is, what advice would you give someone considering entrepreneurship? A lot of great advice and knowledge in this episode from the guys today, so be prepared for that and take in as much as you can. Check us out on all our social media platforms by searching Educating Entrepreneurs. Enjoy the show and have a wonderful week. to the show everybody we got mr bobby mason back he's back from vacation we got joe traxler and we've got me brandon (laughs) i'm just a regular dude brady is uh gone today let's start off the show with randomly drawing a name out of a hat joe traxler first question (laughs) Woo. Been at the office quite a bit recently, and um, I was kind of wondering what your guys is, and it doesn't have to be at work, but just maybe your biggest distraction during your day, what that is, what you can do and will do to eliminate or reduce that distraction. Good cue. I think B. Wills is, Thank you. B. Wills is my, my favorite by far on this podcast, and I love his answers, so I'd like him to start. My biggest distraction, I, it might be a cop-out, but it's my phone. I like to listen to music basically all day. just keeps me kind of focused, but also when I want to like change a song or something, I get very distracted, and I'll find myself like sitting on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, and then I look up at my computer, and I have just a ton of emails, and I'm like, wow, that really set me back, and... Another distraction at work is also having TVs around us now. Uh, something new they put in the office, and just watching like different sports games and stuff. And then they just have what? I'm shocked that they did that. Doesn't that seem they... like that would increase productivity. I think they just wanted to make it seem more like. I mean, like they they'll put like they have actual like information that's like useful to us. They'll put up there, but like people will get antsy and be like, "Oh, the Twins are on today." Like. Let's throw that on. That is a big distraction. Uh, so I, I probably have one of the better spots in the office, and it's just right at the TV. So it's tough to deal with that when there's stuff like that on and like March Madness. So that was really tough to deal with. But uh, I think the biggest one is my phone, just because there's always stuff going on. I always want to know what's going on, like on Twitter and everything, and keeping up with that. And I think one of the things I started doing was just putting my phone in one of my drawers. Still trying to listen to music, but just keeping it away from me because I notice that when I do that, it's I don't feel like I need to look at it because if it's out of sight, it's that's that saying out of sight, out of mind. So I don't look at it. Um, I feel like I get a lot more done at work. I kind of think in my head to, as a little prize that when I'm done, I get to catch up on everything that I missed out on. I try to keep that till I get home, but sometimes it just pops up. So you said that you allow yourself a little prize. Do you allow that? Or you said you usually wait or you try to wait until you get I, home? I try, I try to wait until either I go on break. If I'm not doing anything that I need to get done on break, I'll use that. Like I won't spend the whole hour just sitting on my phone, but I'll use like a little bit just to catch up on everything that happened, whatever it may be. Most of it's pointless stuff, but just trying to keep it away as much as I can and then be like, all right, now's my time to use it. And then once I get back to work, it's back to work and focusing. So how well does the drawer strategy actually work for you? Like, honestly, I think, I think it works pretty well. Cause I kind of just forget about it sometimes. And I'm just like looking at my screen and then all of a sudden I look down where my phone would be and I'm like, Oh, it's not there. Like I don't need to deal with it. And it also helps having an Apple watch or any watch that you can get your texts on because if you can just feel it on your wrist or whatever, you don't have to think about it. You know that 
whatever's going to happen, it's going to pop up on a notification like that. So it's just something that I've kind of tried to stick with and not worry about. I actually think the Apple Watch is a game changer. Yeah. Because you can just look at it quick and then you're like, whatever. I don't need to respond to that right now. Do you think it's a game changer is a good thing or a bad thing? Because I think it's almost a bad thing because you'll see a notification and then you'll be wanting to check your phone. Like if you get a Snapchat, you can't you can't look at it, but you know you got one. You're like, oh, I want to see what it is. I, text, yeah, you can read it quick, but like that, it would still like tempt me. I would say. I updated all my notification setting for my watch just to have text come up, because like there would be like group chat and stuff that would just like and group me or whatever app you would use that just it would like blow up if something was happening and then it would just keep vibrating and that would get super annoying. So I just try to limit it to calls and texts just so if it's actually important, I can get to it right away. For me, it's definitely a game changer because I actually got like, I pay what, maybe 10 bucks a month, I think to actually have service with the watch. And so I just turn off my phone and I only have phone calls come through to my watch because at least for my job, I have to be able to answer calls, you know? And so now I can just answer calls and it just goes to my AirPods and I can just talk totally fine, you know, which is really nice. And it doesn't distract me at all because I'm not looking at any social media feed or text messages or anything like that on my watch because it's just too much of a hassle. So it's pretty much just phone call. And then I turn my phone on usually around five o'clock or six o'clock and ha- even though I work rest of the day, I have it on and just kind of answer text messages if they come in or whatnot. Mm-hmm. But I think the watch is huge. Gotcha. Well, so one, one of mine was actually, uh, so I kind of had two, but one of mine was my phone as well. And <clears throat> I was just thinking of how I would combat that because my uh, office number is uh, directly linked to my cell phone. So it automatically gets routed to my cell phone because I'm never usually in the office. So I can't really just like put it in a drawer because legitimate work calls come through there. Mm -hmm. So I've been trying to decide how to combat that. And one of the things that I've come up with is wearing headphones in like one of my ears or something like that. So I can't see my phone, but I can hear if it rings or something, something like that. Um, like a text won't, won't make any noise or anything like that, but a phone call will. So that's kind of one of the ways I've, I've thought about it. Honestly, when I wear my Apple watch, I get so distracted when it vibrates. Oh my gosh, it's the worst. And I know it's just like a different scenario for you guys. Um, with, especially you, Bobby, cause you have the, like the 3g one that you're sorry, the, the, what, the LTE one where it yeah, can actually, it yeah, I don't know, whatever. Um, it can actually like. Um, be on, be on its own so that's pretty cool for me it's it's annoying yeah and i so. wouldn't have done that if it wasn't for having alex lieberman on that podcast from the morning brew because he said that's what he does and i figured if he can run the morning brew and respond to all of that media that they have to be within mm-hmm. and he doesn't even have his phone on from eight to five i was like geez I should really make sure I don't have my phone on from eight to five because I feel like he's the one that would need it on way more than anyone else. So yeah. So once I started doing that, it's just, it's been amazing. It's been so amazing. But, um, my biggest distraction actually had nothing to do with phone or computer, but my biggest distraction is definitely busy work to be busy. (laughs) I'll be working on a big task and like suddenly in my mind, I'll be like, oh my gosh, I didn't email that person or, oh, I forgot I need to respond to that. Or it's like, oh, I didn't put that blog up. Maybe I should go put that blog up really quick or I should code that really fast instead of just keep, instead of staying focused on my one task and just getting it done. So I think the biggest thing is I like to do a lot of small, easy tasks just to ultimately be busy and keep making progress. Like there's a lot of tasks in a day where I just want to pile them up because they're the comfortable task and I don't have to think a lot about them. And if I wanted to, I could just throw into headphones 
and just kind of listen to whatever and I'm still getting work done. But ultimately, I'm not focused on the big the big picture. So I think that wastes so much of my time, especially when they're small enough that I'm switching back and forth like every 10 minutes because I'm rethinking about the process and how to move forward, which is a disaster. So I, I would definitely say that I'm not perfect in reducing it, but every single night before I go home, no matter what time it is, I take out my handy notebook you know, and I create a list of all the tasks that I need to get done. And every single day I complete, or I essentially, I rate those tasks. So I rate them from most important to least important. And once I do that, I recreate that task list. And I start with my most important task at the beginning of the day, right when I wake up, when I go into the office, that's what I get done right away. And that's my biggest task like it's my most uncomfortable task it's the thing that I know will move me forward the most and then as I work my way through the day you know I keep trying to knock out tasks but if I don't finish that entire list like the end of the list doesn't automatically roll over into the next day because that night I will re-rank the tasks and some of those tasks at the end of the list aren't my most important tasks so they could be moved out for weeks because those are my big tasks that will move me forward. So it might feel like they're important that first day, but then as I keep working my way through the week, I realize, you know what, maybe I didn't have to do that task at all because ultimately I'm moving everything forward without that crap. Oh, you know? for sure. Just those little things just ruin your momentum. It's yes. just like when you're on one of those like uh, stationary bikes and you're like you're like rolling and rolling rolling then you got to stop and you know the bikes have like that momentum going it's like the same thing and then you slowly got to start up again it's it totally just screws up the momentum and your thought process and like you said you got to restart rethink about where you were in the process and stuff like that and yeah it it totally screws it up that's a i like that analogy a lot (laughs) because when you think about it i i can't remember where i saw this but I believe it said that the average worker in America switches tasks 35 times in an hour. Jeez. Just not efficient. Therefore, I can't remember. They said a person that actually was sitting at their desk from like eight to five. Don't quote me on this audience, but I thought it was like they waste 61% of their day switching tasks. <laughs> I could totally see that. And yeah. like that, that just blows my mind because when you think about how much people work in the span of their life, how inefficient that is or how many hours they waste, it's just, mm-hmm. that's, it's just too bad. So I pretty much, I guess my biggest time waster or distraction really has to do with baby tasks. And I've worked really hard over the last couple of months to just eliminate baby tasks because if they're that baby, I just... They can't be worth it. And I should figure out how to knock out that same task or the same result while completing a large task that does more than just knock out that little baby result, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So that's mine. I like that. That's good. What was your second one? My second one was, and this is more of in an office setting of people coming over to chat. It's That's a tough one. I mean, it, it just throws you off your groove. <laughs> especially if you're in the zone. I mean, one good way that I've tried to reduce that is one, putting my headphones in and having like either over the ear headphones. So they're like pretty big and they're noticeable that I'm working or like the, the beats one where I can't hear someone, even if they're like right next to me, that has kind of helped. Some people just walk away then if I don't answer them. (laughs) (laughs) and you're aware that they walked over yeah but i don't i pretend i'm not aware i can like see in my peripherals but i'm like if they really need me they can just like they can poke me i can relate to that because there are definitely times and i hope some of these people don't listen there are many times (laughs) that i just fake a conversation all of a sudden when they're walking oh the airpods and i'll be like oh yeah just one just yeah yeah cool I, i totally get that that, and then I'm I'm usually like, wow, that was a long, long runoff. You just went off there. I've been sitting here in silence for like 20 minutes. 
<laughs> you know you come up with such complex lies yeah <laughs> you were talking for a while man you've been talking for 29 minutes and i've been sitting here not not talking <laughs> oh that's funny that's yeah really funny. I, I definitely try i definitely do the fake phone call every once in a while that's a good one that's really a good one yeah or they're walking over and i don't even say anything in the phone i'm just like I'm on the phone. Sorry. Just I can't talk. Just yeah, like, just pointing. Nah, -uh. I can't hear you. Sure. <laughs> do you ever do earplugs? No, I've never done earplugs. So I've been doing earplugs recently. <laughs> so, like, look so stupid. Yeah, but like, <laughs> and I make sure they're far enough out of my ears that, like, when people walk over, they can visibly hear the earplugs. So, like, yeah. I hear them, see them. And so, <laughs> like, now I can still hear people going, Oh, I was gonna just talk to Bobby, but he's got those earplugs in, so I I, <laughs> I don't want to go tap him or anything. But obviously, I can hear him. Yeah. But it's just like the That's earplugs funny. are a difference maker. And when someone comes and talks, and I have to like slowly take them out, you know, then they're kind of like, "I'll make it really quick. I know you're really focused." It's like, yeah, earplugs in. Those earplugs were focusing my life. Just funny. So, but the other thing is. The thing that I used to do at the coffee shop, not with you, but I put up that little sign, you know, with a, a paper sign that said, I'm working and this time is time blocked. Talk to me at whatever time. And so like, so even in, I need to start doing that in the office again. I just haven't had the kahunas to do it. So I need to start, you know what? I'm happy we had this conversation because I waste a lot of time with people coming up to me and asking me questions or something like that. I need to just put up a little sheet of paper that says time blocked until 12 o'clock. You can come talk to me then. I've seen like people on Twitter that they put signs on their chair in the library and it says, how are you? Answer. I'm good. Working on homework? Yes. Oh, that's nice. Yup. And then they just like, they say end of conversation. Then people just don't even bother talking to them. No, <laughs> oh, I'd like that too. It's kind of funny. I yeah. should just prepare a list of questions and answers Yeah, and just exactly. lay it out. Be like, if you have any of these questions, here's the answer. And if you don't, you can reach out at 12 o'clock. Wow. I should just make an FAQ for my yeah. life. Might as well. <laughs> just a big <laughs> Might booklet. take some time, but. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to see how that works out. Yeah, me too. <laughs> okay. Should we move on to the next question? Yeesh. So my question for today is, at what point do you set your optimism aside and become more realistic? Because I was just thinking about this because I feel like I'm a super optimistic person and I kind of have this like carefree attitude towards certain things where I'm just like, oh, it'll be fine. I'm not going to worry about it. And oh, I'll worry about this later when it actually becomes an issue. And there's, I think sometimes I just do that to not focus on it as much and to kind of just push it away. And I think that obviously can become a big issue when I'm not realistic and I'm like, holy crap, this is actually really bad. I need to get focusing on this now. So I was wondering if you guys are the same way and when you guys actually set or become more realistic or if you just start off as realistic to begin with. There's no reason why you can't be both right away. Right away, you need to be realistic. I don't think you should take time to be, if you're, I mean, I'm, I'm, are you referring to like a entrepreneur, entrepreneurial idea or something like that? Or what is that kind of what yeah, you're going I guess, with? I guess in a sense of that, and it can also be when the business is up and running and you're like, all right, everything's going to be great. You know, we're going to hit our numbers, no problem, mm -hmm. this and that. Yeah, yeah. I mean... Like I said, I, I don't think there's any reason why you can't be both realistic and optimistic at the same time. If if you're not realistic right away, it's, you got trouble blooming real quick. It's important to kind of balance out both of those emotions, if you will, and um, really know when you need that optimism to drive you forward, but also you need realism, realistic viewpoint to set you in a mindset of, okay, this is great. I got the optimism, but how am I actually going to get there? And am, and am I actually going to get there? So 
and that goes along with I, I feel like expectations as well. Um, if you're so optimistic, your expectations are so high, and the realism can bring them down to more. I don't want to use the word again. Realistic expectations. Uh, that, yeah, sorry, that didn't really make sense. I was using that word too many times. But does that make sense? Yeah, and I would say. So I'm going to take it in a different direction because I, I believe what you just said is very true. And I think, yeah, you have to be very realistic. It's being self-aware enough to know when you need to be realistic. The way that I view optimism, and I think you can view it very differently when it comes to an entrepreneurial mindset. I kind of, and I'm sorry to keep hitting on this idea of thinking big today. I don't know why. But I don't know if you ever basically eliminate optimism from your entrepreneurial mindset. I think it's human nature, and I think you really need it to succeed. I kind of believe optimism is the idea of thinking just really big. You know, when you're optimistic, you think about enormous, crazy things that you might not accomplish, but you're gonna strive to accomplish it anyways. The idea of optimism and thinking big kind of empowers people. And I think it allows each of us to kind of build something. I don't know how I would say this, but I think it if you think in a way with a large amount of optimism and you think big at the beginning of any project, it allows you to build something that will either empower you tomorrow or it's going to restrict you tomorrow. So if you're building a huge company and you think about it as if you're going to build a huge company at the beginning, you're going to make decisions that allow you to make that big company, if that makes sense. So like if you look at some people and these are quotes from the book actually by Gary Keller, the one big thing or the one thing, whatever one it is, I can't remember, but he gives a couple examples that blew my mind. And the first one is Arthur Guinness. When he opened his first brewery, he signed a 9,000-year lease, like day one. Like, that's, that's absurd. And when J.K. Rowling created Harry Potter and Hogwarts, before she even wrote her first line, in her mind, she created seven years at Hogwarts before even writing the first line because she was so convinced that it was going to be such a crazy story that no matter what she wanted to put in all the time in her mind and have a crazy story before she even made a book. Jeez. And the other one that blew my mind was who created Walmart? Sam Walton? I think it was Sam Walton. If I'm wrong, it, that Sam might be one of his sons. But whoever it was, <laughs> Daddy Walton. Um, <laughs> before he even opened his first Walmart store, he spent a boatload of money to basically plan his estate. So like his will, the way that his estate would be set up, all of this stuff when he was dirt poor. He basically spent his life savings on it. And by the time it, he died, he saved himself 11 to $13 billion off of that estate planning before he even made his first store. And that kind of stuff is just, it's extreme optimism. I mean, it's thinking enormous, but the optimism is just mind-blowing because they're taking these enormous risks based off of what they believe will happen. And so I actually think them setting up their company in that way made them succeed. I think when you always pursue optimism, it allows you to keep pushing forward. But when you lose that optimism and it kind of fades away, I think that allows fear to creep into your life. So I think ultimately optimism disappears and fear replaces it. And then that fear makes it so you think more realistically and you don't take the same level of risk and you don't take as many chances because it's scary. Because you think like, I need to be realistic and I need to do what everyone else tells me I should do. And I think there's a fine balance between what Joey was saying and that extreme Arthur Guinness. Just the last thing I wanted to say, I looked at a quote and I just, and everyone's heard this quote, but I think it's really important when it comes to optimism. And the quote is, the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world 
are the only ones who do. When you really think about it, that's extreme optimism to think that you could ever change the world. Like that's not realistic. If you actually yeah. crunch the numbers, it's not realistic, but it actually allows those human beings to change the world because they're always planning around that level of optimism. That's kind of my take on optimism, I guess. And that's coming from an entrepreneur that is overly optimistic and allows me to wake up every morning and risk tons of time and money every single day because I believe in my mind that I can change the world in some way. And if I lost that belief, it would be hard for me to keep doing what I'm doing. Follow up on that. So you mentioned your examples of J.K. Rowling and um, Guinness. How do you think that plays into calculated risk? Um, you know, because, yeah, that's risk, but that's a stupid risk. Right? I, I agree. I agree. Okay. All right. I just want to make Like, sure I think Sam good. Walton's was a calculated risk. You know, yep. setting up his yep. estate. Guinness yep. Arthur, that's just... He just wanted to create some crazy level of optimism, I believe, within his company. And it worked. Mm. You know, it was like our founder, he's signing on for 9,000 years. He thinks it's going to work just that much. Like, let's all get behind him and make this thing work. Like, I also think to myself, like, I agree with what you're saying. Because I think if any of us did that, any mentor that had made it big would look at us and be like, that was just dumb. Mm -hmm. Like, that wasn't even smart. No one would think that is smart. But I also think it shows this uniqueness within these people that succeed. It shows that their decisions aren't always the smartest. They're just so different in the way that they think that it allows them to succeed. You know? And I don't know. I don't think optimism is always logical. It shouldn't always make sense. Because technically, I think starting a company doesn't always even make sense. Like you shouldn't do it because you're going, the chances are a lot better that you're going to fail, but yeah. it doesn't have to make sense to move forward with it all the time. I think in the finance world or accounting world, like it has to be realistic. It has to be logical. Usually, yes. Commonly, <laughs> yeah. So what is your take, Brandon? Mine is thinking about it more before you actually kind of get that optimistic mindset. Cause like, I don't know if that makes sense, but like I was saying before, like there's basically a handful of things that I just am like, ah, it'll be fine. I'm not going to worry about it. But I think going off of that, I actually need to sit there and think and be like, okay, am I being realistic with myself here? Like, is this going to be fine? Or am I just saying this so I can avoid the issue at hand and not have to worry about it until it blows up into a bigger issue? So I think that's something that I would have to start doing is actually sitting down or doing whatever and thinking about it more and being like, can I be optimistic here that this is actually going to work out or should we start getting realistic and get down to it and figure something out that'll prevent this from being an issue? See, I actually think a lot of people and I see it when, you know, when we were creating goals for each other and trying to accomplish those goals. And I see it in other accountability groups that I'm a part of. I see a lot of people with extreme optimism that lack self-awareness. So I think, I think optimism is key, but if you don't have self-awareness to understand what your capabilities are and what your bandwidth is and what you're actually going to complete, then optimism is worthless. You know, and Brandon, I'm not picking on you or I'm not trying to, but like you would go into a week with extreme optimism and that's great. Like you were so pumped to get everything done and you're also one of the most self-aware people I know, but in this specific scenario, you would go in with extreme optimism and then complete like half your tasks Yeah, because I believe that you were going in with extreme optimism without adding the self-awareness part. And yeah, actually understanding like what you could do. And I've seen other people in groups where they, they've never read a day in their life. And then we get in this accountability group and they say, you know what, this week I'm going to read a full book. <laughs> yeah. And it'll be like week after week. And then they come back and they're like, I didn't read it all. It's because mm -hmm. there was no self-awareness applied to it. Yeah. It was, just, it was only optimism. Yeah. And that's like, 
what happens with me is I'll, yeah, I'll have all those big goals and stuff. And then if I don't do it, I'll be like, ah, it's fine. I'll get to it eventually. And then eventually becomes a very long time and then just doesn't work. What advice would you give to someone considering entrepreneurship? That is a loaded question right there, Big Bob. I know. Good cue, though. Like, there's a lot of different avenues you could go with this, but uh, my advice would almost be a question of what are you willing to sacrifice and how important is this project to you or whatever it may be. Because if you don't really care about whatever you're trying to make or create, it's it's going to fail. I mean, it's you're not going to be passionate enough to get through the highs and lows, and it's going to be a waste of time. So my word of advice would you be make sure you're going to entrepreneurship for the right reasons. Make sure you are ready to sacrifice for what you're passionate about. And I don't mean to put you on the spot, but do you have yeah. any personal examples from when we were running a company that would tie to your response right there me and good old bob and brady were uh, part of a company um <laughs> brandon joined for a day and we did some landscaping and outdoor service work and it was great it was an amazing learning experience but it just it wasn't something i was extremely passionate about and when i was what's 15 years old that's not what came to my mind here it was not like what am i passionate about what do i really want to do it was like um how can we make some money this summer oh we can do this mm-hmm. and um eventually that grew and grew and grew and i was like wow like this is really cool but like i don't really care about like i i love like providing services for people and making their lives easier like, that part I really liked, but it was just, like, I don't give a shit about, like, the actual, like, landscaping or whatever part of it, whatever mm-hmm. it is. And there were many roadblocks in that in that company with the personnel that we had, but that was, that was a big one for me. So did it just become just too hard to keep working every day? Like, I mean, you still worked every day, but I'm saying just... <laughs> How do you run a business without the passion behind it? And I don't think a lot of people can really understand that until they legitimately experience it for themselves. Yeah, it just, and I wouldn't say it was, it was bad or terrible or anything like that, but it just like wasn't fulfilling at all. And it wasn't really, I mean, I was still learning stuff because we were running a company, but it wasn't going in the direction where I wanted it to be going. Well, I should say I wasn't going in the direction that I wanted to be going with the type of business we were making. And so it just, every day it just got kind of like, ugh, kind of dragged on a little bit and it got harder and harder each day. I think just people being able to hear the real world experience that people had with things, I think it's a, mm-hmm. it's a difference maker. And and like I said, like, I didn't, like, hate it whatsoever. It was, like, I still loved being able, like I said, I still loved being able to provide services for people that made their lives easier. I mean, that was one of our taglines for, for our company, mm-hmm. and it was totally true. Um, it wasn't that we loved doing landscaping work. It was we loved helping other people create more time in their lives to spend time with their families and things like that. And that's what we are all about. And um, that's what I love doing. So the actual work that we were doing didn't care. And so that kind of, it just made it tough. And uh, that's probably why, I mean, one of the reasons why I didn't really stick it out. And people should be very aware. We still got to do part of that. But they also have to be aware that we were doing the work side of it, the landscaping mm-hmm. side from 7.30 in the morning to 9.30 at night. And then we were working on the work side of it. And that's a lot of hours to put in when you're 15 and 16 and 17 every single day all summer long when everyone else is doing other things. And your friends are maybe not working or working normal hours or part-time. Yeah. What would be your answer? Because you're just kind of getting the entrepreneurial taste in your mouth. (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> hey, you are. You're you just word it, you want to word it like that. <laughs> You're just getting um, a taste of it. Biggest one for me is be ready to be self-aware and make sure that you can become self-aware because if not, it's going to be a tough road for you because you're not going to like probably some of the stuff you're doing. And if you don't say anything or if you don't have someone say something to you and you're not willing to swallow the fact that they're right, I think that's going to be tough. And yeah, I think just doing that, being ready to fail because there are going to be times where you think everything's going smooth and blows up in your face and you got to be ready for that and have a plan because if not, you're, I mean, if it happened to me, I'd probably just give up and be like, well, that didn't work out. I'm not going to keep doing that anymore. But my mindset's changed on that a little bit, I guess. But I think as far as stuff with failing, I will take our competition that we had as an example. So for people that didn't or don't know, uh, Bobby and I had a little social media competition with our <laughs> Instagram pages. Bobby oh, it's, has, still, it's still going. Oh, yeah, I know. I have, I have a lot of catching up to do, which I'll get to. But um, Bobby has another podcast, Master of the Start. Be sure to check that one out. He's got a lot of great guests on there. Learn a lot of cool things. But we have our Educating Entrepreneurs and the competition was, we were about around the same amount of followers uh, as each other about a week ago. And currently, Educating Entrepreneurs has 361 followers, uh, about 120 follower growth in a week. Hey, that's pretty good. Oh, yeah. And then, uh, drum roll, please. I have no idea what I'm at. No clue at all. Master the start. I haven't checked in a week. <laughs> 919 followers boom so bobby is winning that one currently i've got to figure out his uh secret ways of gaining followers besides having a great podcast you know you could actually bring that up on the next podcast okay we can actually go in depth on that okay so be ready for that next week guys but yeah i mean in my eyes i'm like i lost by a landslide but there's still I mean, I'm not going to give up on that because if I give up on that, then we don't get people that view our podcast. We don't get people that learn more about educating entrepreneurs. And that is me bringing down one fourth of our company, I would say. And to do that to people that have been working so hard at it and doing things that are trying to make us succeed, I think that just looks bad in my eyes and not good, obviously, for everyone else. And you know, if this becomes a big thing, I could probably get the boot real quick. So and don't want that. And that's the thing. You brought up self-awareness. That's why you will never get the boot. Like legitimately, I, I truly believe that's the reason why you would never, ever get the boot. You can't give the boot to somebody that's self-aware enough to accept their flaws and actively show that they're trying to fix them. It's not even flaws. It's just accepting things that you don't currently know. Yeah. And then trying to improve upon it. And I know, actually, I saw Connor serve for the first time in, since my wedding. And we sat mm -hmm. down. And he was like, are you working on a company with Brandon? I was, like, <laughs> I was like, yeah. And he's like, well, how do you guys work together? It's got to be different dynamics when it comes to entrepreneurship. I was like, it is. But the thing is, like, he is so self-aware that I can work with him forever. Because yeah. I know that he's always going to be honest. It doesn't add any extra stress. And I know that he's always going to work to improve. Because he always knows that he's missing something. In a sense where he just doesn't know it yet. And why should he know it yet? And that's, yeah. that's actually the advice that I would give to entrepreneurs. I think, number one, entrepreneurs, they go into entrepreneurship with this insane optimism without the self-awareness and the realism to know that you will be a starving entrepreneur. If this is try number one, like you're probably going to fail. Mm -hmm. People don't understand, even if the Airbnbs or Twitters or whatever of the world, it was their first company they had started and they made it big. If you look at their life, like oh. they were 
they were making little baby companies since they were a kid. Like even if they didn't make them into actual companies, like they were making companies every single day. Yep. And they were figuring out what worked and what didn't work. And I think you have to be really prepared to be a starving entrepreneur, which I know at first I was not prepared for. I thought that I could get a company to work right away and get things going. But now that I'm on company number 13 and I sold a couple and failed epically at a lot, I'm very aware like what the company we're running now, we're two years into the build. I expected that. Two years ago, I had made sure I had a large enough eggshell that I could survive for a couple of years without any money. Like, I haven't gotten paid from Go Mahi in two and a half years. Jeez. And I put in tons of time. I put in 80 hours a week for two and a half years. But I prepared for that. If, yeah. you if I would have started Go Mahi six years ago, we'd be over. It'd be done because I wouldn't have prepared for it. Like, I wouldn't have sold companies leading up to it so I could survive this long. And that would lead into the point that I think piggybacks off of what you were saying. I just think entrepreneurs, when you're jumping in, you just need to be very aware that you can't understand what you don't know. You guys will hear on the podcast, like, we're always hard on Brandon. But the truth is, I'm hard on him because I've already gone through it and failed epically. So I already know it. So it's unfair for me to be hard on him because how is he supposed to know how to do these things when he's never done them before? Like I have an upper hand in the social media because I've already done it several times so I can easily mimic. Mm -hmm. You've never done it before. How are, like you're going to have to fail over and over again before you figure out what works and then mimic it. Yeah. You know? And I watch... So many entrepreneurs entering the world of entrepreneurship right now. And essentially, they're just entering the world of entrepreneurship in a way that I entered it when I was 14. With the same level of optimism, the same level of skill. It doesn't matter how old you are. Whether you're 25 or 14 and you're starting a company for the first time and you're hiring people for the first time, it's all new whether you had experience or not. Like you're gonna yeah. have to fail epically over and over again. And oh, yeah. I think Brandon brought up failure. Everyone says fail, fail, fail. And I agree because I have lived the fail, fail, fail. That's why I can agree with it. I heard mm -hmm. it a million times before that. And sure, I heard it. I heard it, but it never really entered my soul as like an actual model and model to follow. Yep. Because how can you? As a human person, I don't believe you can totally comprehend this idea of failing, failing, failing. Yeah. And you can't comprehend that being something you need in your life. The reason I can comprehend it now is because number one, I raised millions of dollars, failed epically. I started multiple companies, none of them worked, failed epically. I mean, some of the companies I sold, those can even be scrapped up as a failure because I probably could have sold them for a lot more. But at that moment, I didn't know how to sell a company. So those yep. first couple made it so I know how to sell companies in the future because I had no clue. So I lowballed it. I didn't know how to put the financials together right, which probably would have made me a ton more money. <laughs> and all of those failures, honestly, have helped me structure our new company in a way that... I believe when like people that are building companies and they have companies that are 20 years old, they look at the way we're structuring our startup and they're like, you have it structured like the company's 15 years old. <laughs> like it's so it's structured in a way. And this isn't like me boasting. It's just that I can structure it that way because I'm 10 years into failing. So yep. I'm structuring it based off of everything. And you know what? In a year from now, we'll probably restructure again. Because every single day in entrepreneurship, when I get in the car, I honestly just slap myself in the forehead and go, how in the world was I doing it that other way for the last 10 years when I could have done it this simple way that I learned today? Yeah. It's just because I didn't know. Yeah. And every entrepreneur is going to have to go through that same exact thing. And I think you're starting to see that. Yep. Yeah, very much so. And it's just the truth. Yeah, like you were saying, if someone sees that you look like your company's 
10 years already in, yeah, it's because you know it and you're prepared for it. You don't want to start at square one again because you know everything that you, have, you can skip over and avoid. And I'm really seeing it with my brother-in-law because, you know, they're starting their little ministry company or whatever they're focused on doing. Essentially, it's a company that they're building, right? And I listen to him speak. He's 25, the same age as me. I listen to him talk about how they're going to start this company. And all I hear, I hear myself talking when I was a junior in high school. Mm -hmm. Because that's exactly how I built my first company. And I believe I could sit there and say, no, 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 that's not right. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to do this. And he would listen. But I think he would ultimately still make those same mistakes because I don't think you can truly learn it until you do it. Yeah. And he's probably blinded by the fact that he has all these big dreams and he thinks it's just going to go perfectly. And correct. He sees how it's working out for you now because he's catching it at not the tail end, but he's catching it at a time where it's working. Correct. And And like he's going into it with the idea of, you know, first month at I'll be able to take a three to $4,000 salary. And it's just like, you might if you're insanely lucky. <laughs> insanely <laughs> yeah. lucky. But realistically, you have about a 99.9% chance of not making a dime in your first month. It's that hard. And yeah. if you're planning, if you're building your company in a way that you need to make money day one and everything's focused on that, oh boy, it's going to be tough on year 20. Yep. Because on top of that, you see a lot of entrepreneurs that are building for the present and have nothing going for the future because it's about that first paycheck. And that's where like, for example, where you're at CH Robinson, they probably built it in a way that you didn't always have to go out and find truck drivers. Like you just have a large group of people that come to you now. Like that didn't start with thinking in the present. Like they were building it for the future, you know? Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And I think as far as from like an employee standpoint, I think a big thing is I've kind of touched on this before is a lot of people quitting. And I think that it's people aren't building for their future and learning as an entry level employee. They think that, oh, I'm six months in, give me the pay, like the biggest paycheck you have right now. And you see a lot of people leave and we've actually had people come back. And I think it's kind of one thing that I've noticed is that they are there to help you build your career. And you just have to take those necessary steps yourself to build yourself up there. And, you know, hopefully eventually the money will come. But I think that goes along with entrepreneurship is, yeah, like you were saying, don't expect to get paid, you know, month one, year one. People forget as employees that that is management's job. My company is only as successful as I can make my least productive employee work. If my least productive employee is putting crazy amount of output, like creating all this, just these absurd results, I'm doing my job because I can't create results like 10 other people that I help mentor and form into good employees. Like I ultimately want them to be so darn good at their job that I have to pay them a million dollars a year. Yep. Like that's great for me. Yeah. So I think a lot of people look at their bosses and just think, you know, they're just there to make big decisions. They're not there to help me. Yeah. But they're there to help you. They want you to be an absolute beast. (laughs) Yeah. Cause you succeeding is them succeeding in the bigger picture. Correct. And that just makes them a good boss. The best bosses just help others. So I guess we can do the wrap up here and I'll give an update on EE. Not to throw Brady under the bus. He's been uh, insanely busy, which respect. He's working on his main job. That's important. (laughs) So we kind of made a little change like we explained a couple weeks ago where he's actually creating the lessons and I'm creating all the data and all the information that goes into those lessons. He's basically forming them into written word. This week, I made some more progress again. We did a, I did a couple more data dumps. So we have lessons and all the information lined up. Uh, Brady's got about two more weeks of busy time, and then he'll be able to pump out the lessons, and you guys will see it hopefully by June. 
The second thing is, and Brandon will post it sometime this week, we got another pod, another blog up on the site this week. Also, as we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, it's all mobile friendly, so check it out on your phone. But we got another blog up. He'll post it to LinkedIn, our social media feeds. It's essentially about how to find the right mentor. So I think that's pretty interesting because I mentors are so important. And I wouldn't take every word as written word from God in there. I think you there's a lot of leeway when you're finding a mentor for yourself. And every person is different. And every person will have significantly different mentors. And you don't need to have a billionaire be your mentor. I will say, for me, yes. that it, Those are the people that are mentoring me right now. But it didn't start that way. Your mentors change. Mm-hmm. And you need to find mentors that you can relate to, not just people that have succeeded. Because if they can't relate to you and you can't relate to them, that doesn't do you any good. They should become your friends. Yep. Because that is when they're going to be honest and that's when they're going to be there for you. So check out the mentor blog. I think it's a good read. And uh, we'll just keep doing data dumps. So make sure you really just stay tuned with the podcast because that's basically going to keep all of you guys afloat while we keep grinding away. And we'll keep posting blogs so you guys can get as much free content as possible. And Brandon will probably do a quick call to action on following our social media feeds because it's good content. I think you can learn a lot from it. Brandon's been working his ass off on it, and it's, it's good. It actually is good. I'm going to have to take some of his content and mimic it because it's creative and I need some creativity in my life. So you should check out all of that and we'll keep progressing. And I think you guys should just keep going to the site because we might even create a bunch of sneak peeks into some of the lessons and we might give them away for free. So just keep in tune with that kind of stuff. And Brandon, you can give the beautiful closing now. All right. Yeah. So thank you guys for listening today. Uh, Hopefully we'll have the whole crew back next week. So yeah, as Bobby was saying, check out all of our social media uh, just by searching educating entrepreneurs. You'll see that beautiful blue logo with the EE. Look for that. Check out our LinkedIn. That's where all the blogs will be posted. I'll post about them on Instagram and whatnot. And check out our website, educatingentrepreneurs.com. You'll That'll be another spot where you can find the blogs and find all of our courses. So look out for new stuff there, and we will see you next week.